Welcome back to another episode of Once Every Two Weeks, the podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days a year. Once Every Two Weeks is a look back at music from the 90s through a modern lens and a nostalgic twinge. Hosted by two guys who have been friends since high school. Join us, Tom and Mark, as we examine old hits, forgotten favorites, and overlooked gems as we dive into the music that got us through all the fun of those awesomely awkward, angst-filled teenage years, one album at a time. I'm good. How are you? Doing pretty well. Enjoying this time of being a bum. Yeah? Yeah. Taking a brief a brief work sabbatical like you and, uh, you know, living life. Yeah, it's always nice. Working's for chumps. Mark, what have you been up to, sir? Not much. Mostly just playing video games and editing the podcast. What are you playing right now? I'm on my, I don't know, fifth or sixth playthrough of Red Dead 2. I still need to take you up on your recommendation that I need to just drive around the desert shooting things. In the video game. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. The video game. That's why I'm clarifying. I don't want you to start thinking that you live in Arizona. (laughs) There's a joke for my pal Charles. Chuck's from Arizona? Chuck is. He's from the town that Dude and Fire in the Sky got abducted from. Does he have opinions on this? He mostly shares his stepdad's opinions because his stepdad actually worked on a logging crew with the guy. Oh, he actually knew him? I don't know how close they were, but yeah, he's said before that his dad is like, I'm pretty sure that he was on drugs. Ah, okay. But just because he was on drugs doesn't mean he wasn't also abducted by aliens. (laughs) If there's one thing we've learned, it's aliens exist. Tom DeLonge was onto something. Everyone is so excited about this Blink-182 revival, making the big deal about Tom being back. And I'm like, sure, that's fine. But when can we get rid of Travis and bring back Scott? Come on, dude. Travis is hardcore punk. I mean, he's married to a Kardashian. How much more punk do you get? You do have to hate yourself a lot for that. And that's pretty punk rock. (laughs) Okay, I think we're getting way off topic. I think we bashed Travis Barker enough. I'm just thinking I'm going to save all my Travis bashing for the Dude Ranch episode. (laughs) How was the fall break with the kiddo? You'd mentioned last episode that you had uh, some fun plans. I did. We got to do a lot. We went to the pumpkin patch. We took her to a festival. She and I built some projects at home. It was great. Nice. I just learned. Did you know there's a whole Lego robotics programming thing out there? I did because I have nephews that are giant nerds. Dude, I did not know this, but I am bringing my daughter into that level of nerddom now. And I'm so excited. Nice. Yeah. So did you get something at the pumpkin patch? No, we just let the girls play. Just let them run around in a field of pumpkins. Well, you would think it was just a field of pumpkins, but no, they have like animals and other things. But I was listening to this comedian from Argentina, I think. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how weird it is that Americans pay to... Frolic and produce? Go take pictures with vegetables? <laughs> And he's like, you know, I'd bring my brother down and show him the pumpkin patch. And he'd be like, oh, that looks great. I'm going to eat that pumpkin. He's like, no, 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 no. We're just going to take it home and cut it up. (laughs) And we suddenly see how weird our society is. Well, that sounds fun, Tom. But also, hello, listeners, and welcome to a very special Halloween edition of Once Every Two Weeks. 
Looking at all of our musical choices, there is only one obvious band to talk about on this holiday. Tonight, we're going to cover A Fire Inside. Yes. We're looking at the band A Fire Inside, more frequently known as AFI, and Black Sails in the Sunset, their 1999 release. Towards the end of our high school career, were you a big AFI fan prior to this, Mark? No. I had never heard of them until this album came out. I was also not a big Fire Inside fan. Prior to or including post-release of Black Sails in the Sunset. I do like it. I think it was, I was a little later even than that before I really got into AFI. But I do. I like them now. This is one that I got into our senior year. And I think it was during that period where you had abandoned me at the pizza job. And so I was spending a lot of time just working and we weren't hanging out as much because I had this job and you no longer had the same job. So we didn't see each other much for a while. So yeah. Black Sails in the Sunset was my introduction, and it was one that I pretty much instantly fell in love with. And this is their fourth album, so it was nice discovering a band and discovering that they have three prior albums that you can go back and get into. Nice. Although this was definitely the pinnacle of their achievements at the time. What do you think about Sense? I think that the follow-up to this, The Art of Drowning, was a fantastic record, and I enjoyed Sing the Sorrow, which was the one after that. And then... They started becoming very hit and miss. So my buddy Pedro, who I've mentioned on prior episodes. Oh, by the way, yes. Pedro was listening to the episode where you talked about seeing the crows and how you'd never seen anyone look so rad playing an accordion before. Yeah. And he wanted me to let you know that you need to go to more shows. His comment was, Tom's obviously never seen Los Tigres del Norte, which I know just because I spent a year stalking the Spanish music section at Warehouse Music, even though I don't speak Spanish. He is correct. I do not know them. But as we're talking about, he also brought up the fact that we all need to go see Weird Al someday because that would just be an incredible show. Anyway, Pedro, AFI is one that we bonded over because we both loved this album and loved the band when we met. And it was, I believe, shortly before Seeing the Sorrow came out. And so we've been able to kind of compare notes and we have our own shorthand as we're talking about AFI now. And we kind of have essentially different aesthetic periods of frontman Davey Havoc that we refer to. Okay. And so you had the first couple of albums where they were hardcore punk band and Davey was just the frontman. Black Cells is the introduction of what we refer to as Danzig Davy. Okay. Because this is the period where he had the hair pulled down in his face, a la Danzig and the Misfits. And I think somewhere between Art of Drowning and Seeing the Sorrow, the aesthetic changed where instead of wearing all black on stage, they started wearing all white. Okay. And then Davy got into this weird asymmetrical haircut thing, and then he cut his hair short and got into fashion and started wearing suits. And so Danzig Davy is definitely the high point of AFI for me, for Pedro, for a lot of fans. Okay. And so there's been a lot that as a band that they have done since that hasn't been for me, but I've tried with every album to at least give it a listen. And there's usually a couple tracks throughout that I've been able to find and still enjoy. Cool. So I don't know the different eras of AFI. I just know I listen to them casually. Not a huge AFI fan. Mm-hmm. Don't dislike AFI. Didn't know, honestly, when we started this, if I knew what was on which album. Right. But I enjoy them. And that's fair because I don't think there was anything on this album that was a big hit. It wasn't until the next one that they had their first radio single as far as I know. Yeah. But it's sad because despite having that one radio single on the album after this, it still took two more albums for them to actually start to blow up on a big scale. What was their big song on the next album? 
Days of the Phoenix was okay. the single they had from Art of Drowning, which was after Black Sailed in the Sunset, which we're talking about tonight. Yes. And then they put out Sing the Sorrow, and then it wasn't until December Underground and the song Miss Murder that... Miss Murder from 2006? Yeah, that they really started to get huge, which was a shame because, hands down, that is my absolute least favorite song in their catalog not a good song but i don't i don't know why people loved it so much same reason like we talked about on pumpkins why 1979 is their biggest hit because the radio was stupid it's unfortunate it is but it feels like we're maybe getting ahead of ourselves here we talking are. about future afi and we haven't even talked about afi past and they have a long history before this album they do i didn't realize they've been around for so long they had during November of 1991, in the small northern California town of Ukiah, a young man in high school did what many before him and countless since have done. He decided to start a band, and that young man was named David Pizarro. David recruited classmates Mark Stoffelis and Vic Chalker to join him, and together the band AFI was formed. However, none of those three young men played, much less owned, any musical instruments, so it's pretty much a standard start for every other punk band since the dawn of time. Since it was his idea, David, who had started going by the stage name Davey Havoc got to be the singer and didn't really have to do anything else. So Vic started learning bass, Mark started learning guitar, and he also suggested that they recruited another classmate, Adam Carson, since he both owned a drum set and he kind of knew how to play it. <laughs> I don't know if it's because he wasn't progressing on bass or if it's because he progressed too quickly and realized that the rest of the band was holding him back, but Vic was out of the band pretty quick and replaced by jeff kresge jeff also played bass in another ukiah local band called influence 13 which featured other band members by the names jade puggett and nick 13 now try to remember those as they will both probably pop up again sooner or later hint hint so for the rest of their high school years, AFI played a handful of shows, not just in their own hometown, but various spots around NorCal with other punk bands. And in 93, they ended up recording an EP that they named Dork. Then they graduated from high school and Davey went to UC Berkeley, Adam went to UC Santa Cruz, Mark went to USC, and AFI broke up. The end. Thanks for coming. Have a great day, guys. I love it when these are nice and short. Unfortunately, though, we have a lot more to discuss because during Christmas break, they came back home and they decided to do a one-off reunion show, which was at the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma, which is a pretty sweet venue, by the way. Who did you see there? The Phenomenots, which was a Bay Area sci-fi psychobilly band. They all had kind of sci-fi costumes, like one of them dressed up as a robot and everything was painted silver and they were fun and amazing and the Phoenix, it's a really sweet venue. It's an old building that had originally been built either late 1800s, early 1900s as an opera house. But now it's kind of like a community center and show venue for all ages shows. And they've got a couple skate ramps down on the floor and they've got a nice balcony. And it still has the old opera house architecture. Oh, nice. It's a very sweet place. And they do great things with the building. Like I said, it's, it's open as like a community center just most days for kids to just go hang at. I really like the phoenix where exactly is that again it's in petaluma okay so that show ended up having a much larger turnout than any of them expected and it was kind of a wake-up call that they could be taken seriously as a band and that the band may actually have a fan base after all 
According to their stories, there was something like 200 kids out at that show, and most of them seemed to know who they were. It wasn't just because they were bored on Christmas break. So over the next couple of years, the now unbroken up AFI self-released a handful of additional EPs, and eventually all the members moved in together to a decommissioned old frat house in Berkeley and released their first full-length album titled Answer That and Stay Fashionable back in August of 95. Fun fact, Answer That and Stay Fashionable was produced by Tim Armstrong. Huh. And quickly after that first album's release, the band signed to Nitro Records, which is a label that was started by Dr. Dexter Holland, who you may know for his contributions to music as frontman of The Offspring rather than his commitment to science. I do appreciate that you gave him his PhD honorific title. Well, he earned, he earned it. He earned, he earned it, it. So, yeah, I'll, he did. I'll recognize so they followed up that 95 album with a, another album less than a year later in June of 96, titled Very Proud of Ya. And they started touring after an extensive tour in support of that second album. And before the band went to the studio in 97 to record their third album, Jeff. You were really tempted to say Geoff, weren't you? I really wanted to say it because I don't like that spelling. <laughs> I figured by your pause there. You know me so well. I also had the same thought the first time I read the name. So Jeff left the band and AFI brought in bassist Hunter Bergen to fill in as bass player in the studio and then for a tour in support of that third album. Hunter would prove to be a good enough fit that he would stick around beyond that, and he has been AFI's bass player ever since. Also joining the band in the studio for that third album was Nick13, who we mentioned previously. What? And you might also know as the founder and frontman of the psychobilly band Tiger Army. Sure. An additional fact, I'm just full from this episode. Full of something. Adam played drums on the first Tiger Army record. And after leaving AFI, Jeff would later join Tiger Army as the bass player. Okay, so they're just going back and forth, huh? Yeah, kind of brings us back to what we've said in previous episodes about bands in small towns being incestuous. They are. But the fun doesn't stop there because Jade, who had been in that prior band with Nick, also contributed playing additional guitars on AFI's third album, which was entitled Shut Your Mouth and Open Your Eyes. We're working to up towards a better title, for sure. <laughs> we picked an album with a much better title. Definitely. In 98, they released an EP entitled A Fire Inside and went on tour. By the end of that tour, it was clear that Mark was quitting the band. So we're going to pivot to Jade, who we've mentioned a couple times now. While the band was on tour, Jade had finished college and was living in Davy's room and trying to figure out what to do with his life with no real plan or prospects for the future. Sound familiar? Huh. <laughs> Then the band came home from tour, and Jade figured he'd have to move out and get his life together. Except, instead of kicking him out of the house, they asked him to join the band, since they had all been friends since elementary school and had played music since high school together, and Jade had already played guitar on one of their albums. He was living in the band house, so it all made sense and fell into place for Jade to take over as the guitarist for AFI. Serendipity. Luck. Lucky SOB. And while there have been a few more guest appearances, that core lineup of Davey Havoc on vocals, Jade on guitar, Hunter on bass, and as such, since he joined the band, Hunter has only been credited with a last name on one of the nine studio albums that he's recorded with the band. Why is that? I'm guessing it sounds cool or just go by the mononym of Hunter. And then to round it out, Adam Carson was still on drums, which has continued to be the band's lineup ever since. 
Now, as we mentioned previously, when the band first came together, none of them knew how to play any instruments. Mm -hmm. They figured it out as they went along, and by their first album, they had enough experience to produce a serviceable punk album, but both the playing and the lyrics were uncomplicated. With each of the following albums, they got better, and their sound not only matured, but as a band, they started to develop an individual voice. However, Mark's departure was bound to have an impact on the sound as they shifted to Jade as the band's sole guitarist, and it proved to be a huge move forward for the band. It did. Work on what would become AFI's fourth album began on that day that they came home from tour and Jade joined the band. They even started writing it before they knew that they were writing for a new album. While, like we said, they had been friends and had played together many times before, they still sat down that night to tip their toes in the water, as it were, and see how they actually meshed as a band And it was instant chemistry. Jade played a new guitar melody he'd been working on, to which Davey immediately came up with a matching vocal melody. Years later, looking back at that album, Davey told a story about how Jade kind of called him out as a singer for pretty much just yelling all his parts over the guitars on prior albums. I mean, they were hardcore after all. Right, right. But Jade challenged him to try and make his vocals actually melodic. And he did. And a handful of reviews even made note to point out that it was the first time they had known singer Davey Havoc to actually sing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, when you've you've released several albums before, that's just what you want to hear as the lead singer, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, it entirely depends stylistically what you're going for and what they had been going for. Didn't necessarily require it previously, but I think it is nice that you have friends that you trust enough who can be honest to challenge you. Yeah, and it made a difference because their music, this album, like I said, that I was joking about the name of the album being better than the previous, but it's the first time their music actually starts to sound like, to me, sounds really grown up. Yeah. So Black Sails in the Sunset was recorded at Art of Ears, which is in Hayward, California, and where the band had previously recorded their first and third albums. Mm-hmm. While AFI as an entity claimed sole credit as producer, as well as crediting for backing vocals, the band had helped capturing the album from a recording engineer named Andy Ernst, who also worked with a lot of great punk outfits from the Bay Area, like the individual releases that would later be joined up to make Green Day's 1039 Smoothed Out Slappy Hours, as well as their album Kerplunk, and he worked with Rancid, Tiger Army, 15, Screeching Weasel, Good Riddance, The Swinging Utters, and more. A lot of good bands. Yeah, Tiger Army came up again, I'm shocked. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, so did Rancid. Black Sails in the Sunset was released on May 18th, 1999, through Nitro Records. And a couple of years ago, in an interview with Yahoo Music, Davey talking about this album said, Black Cells definitely set the tone of what AFI is when people envision AFI, whether they picture what we sound like or look like or what our show is. When they conceptualize AFI, they picture what began as Black Cells in the Sunset. And to help better paint that picture of what began as Black Cells, let's look at some of the reviews for the album. It's really interesting. Overall, Black Cells in the Sunset was received well by critics. Sputnik Music said, whatever you define punk as, it is almost guaranteed that your definition fits the sound of Black Sails in the Sunset. It's not classic punk, both in the sense that it's not a perfect score and it's not on the same style of bands like The Clash, but on AFI's 1999 release, they certainly create some sort of punk music. Black Sails in the Sunset is fierce, fast, emotional, and kick booty all in one. They didn't say booty. 
It is full of energy that is present during every single song in one way or the other, and most definitely in lead singer Davey Havoc's wailing voice that is by no means afraid to stretch its limits. The drumming is brutal, the bass playing is strong, the guitar is fast, and the vocals are energetic and aggressive. After giving a even briefer history than we did, but touching on a lot of the same points that we've covered already, talking about the band's formation, Dying Scene said, All these factors contributed to the change in AFI's sound for this release. Gone were the short, sharp songs of their previous release. The sound of the album is a mixture of The Misfits, Danzig, and Minor Threat, but the album retains a unique sound. And I like that one because as I've been thinking about this album and how to describe it for myself, I always kind of think of it as a mix of The Misfits and Alkaline Trio. Yeah. Except I don't think Matt Skiba could ever write any songs as brutal as this album. <laughs> I think that's fair. A.A. Ron of Decoy Music gave his own personal story about his introduction, saying that he never had much desire to really listen to AFI. The way they were always described to me was more hardcore-ish, which is what it says on their webpage, East Bay Hardcore. I was at a friend's house and Black Sails and the Sunset was in the CD player. I was pretty dang amazed at what these guys can do. All the lyrics are compelling. The songs are about Davey and him being lost, trying to find himself, and the way he expresses how he feels is pure poetry. And I thought I heard Dexter Holland from The Offspring singing. And I looked in the cover and saw he was singing backing vocals. This CD is heavier than their other albums, which makes me more obliged to listen to it. They have developed as a band and have a new sound, which is candy for your ears. German music magazine Vision said, Ach die Songs, Eres Virten Albums, Lassen Kom Vermuten, Dass die Aktur sich freudend umil befinden, statt dassen Schwinkel sie zweisen den Polen melancholy und Wut, was sie musikalisch so umsetzen. Das ist kaum nuk in die gangingen Kategorien von Punkrock past. Alternative Press gave the album four and a half stars, said Black Sails and Sunset shows that the band have invaded and conquered previously unexplored territory, with new guitarist Jade Puggett adding a sense of brooding thespian eloquence to the disc's shadowy post-hardcore. AFI all but reinvented themselves, and the innovation is stunning, with longer, deeper, richer, more complex compositions than they've ever attempted before. Black Sails tackle everything from brooding hardcore to simmering balladry, calling the this goth is selling it short. In truth, Davy Havoc and company crafted their first epic. I like that. Yeah, that's a really great review. The metal music magazine Metal Hammer lists Black Sails as one of the top 20 metal albums of 99. Which sounds great and not to discredit them giving love to the album, but it feels weird to me because I've never thought of it as a metal album. Then again, their list also included Nine Inch Nails Fragile, Incubus's Make Yourself, so they must have a much broader and more forgiving idea of what metal is than I. I guess so. Or metal was just in a much more desperate state of being in 99 than I ever realized <laughs> because they also included Lump Biscuit and Corn on the list. Maybe they just did the list for the Nookie. I hate you, Milkman Dan. In the same spirit, in 2007, the now-defunct Shoutmouth put out a list of the top 25 most influential punk bands, and they listed AFI as number 22. 
Again, I don't want to discredit the thought or suggest that the band wasn't deserving. After all, there have been a fair share of bands like Rise Against and Avenged Sevenfold who have cited AFI as major influences, but that list itself was also incredibly flawed as Social D were listed at number 20. Nope. Bad Religion was only 14, and The Clash wasn't even top three. How do you have a list of the most influential punk bands? And you don't have the most influential punk band of all time in the top three? Yeah. I don't know. And all of this should set us up perfectly for something stupid that Pitchfork said. Except Pitchfork has been too cool to ever be bothered to review an AFI album. At least until their 2017 release. Took them over 20 years, but they finally got around to it. That's how dumb they are. So there's no stupid review of Black Sails to Angry Up My Blood. Or of Sing the Sorrow, which is kind of surprising. And even more surprising is there's not even a bad review of their 2006 release, December Underground. Which, as we already discussed, broke the band through into mainstream success with the incredibly awful track Miss Murder. Which I'm sure Pitchfork would have just said good things about anyway. The idiots. I'm still really unclear on how you feel about Pitchfork. Kind of how I feel about Miss Murder as a song. Honestly, Miss Murder is a song that I've always very much compared to Weezer's Beverly Hills. Oh, ouch. It's a song that doesn't belong anywhere on the album or in the catalog, but was somehow a successful single. So Pitchfork may have tried their best to ignore AFI over the years, but I sure didn't. Although, I know that there's been a lot of bands that we've talked about before where I've mentioned I've gotten to see someone and you were jealous that you decided not to go with me. This is the first one that I should have seen our senior year, but I didn't because my jerk-ass best friend talked me into getting a job and I had to work that night, even though said friend quit by that point, leaving me all by myself. It was really annoying because Jacob was all excited. He'd hit me up earlier in the week and was like, hey, AFI's playing on Halloween. You should go. And I wanted to. But since I was working pizza and Halloween is the biggest pizza night of the year, I couldn't get it off. And I couldn't get off early enough to make the drive downtown to see them. So I have always been sad that I never got to catch AFI on the Black Cells tour on Halloween. Thanks, Tom. You're welcome. I'm here for you, Mark. <laughs> I've never seen AFI, but you did some redemption. You got to see them. I did. wasn't quite the same, but I did see them a little over a year later when I was living in the Bay, the Bay Area. Big Rock Station Live 105 put on a Christmas concert called Not So Silent Night. And in 2000, the lineup was AFI, Papa Roach, Deftones, and Green Day, which I dodged a huge bullet because Crazy Town was also scheduled to play and they canceled last minute. And I was very relieved I didn't have to sit through their set. That's weird. I remember you being a huge Crazy Town fan. You have that poster? No, no, no. That was a Mariah Carey poster. I see the mistake because Crazy Town's hit single was Butterfly, but that was a Mariah Carey album. <laughs> it's really bad that Crazy Town is so awful you would rather be confused as a Mariah Carey fan than a Crazy Town fan. <laughs> but yeah, it was one where I was kind of sad that they were just the openers, but they were amazing. So it was at the Civic Center downtown San Francisco, and right before AFI goes on, the whole venue goes dark. All the lights go off, and in the darkness, you start hearing O Fortuna, which is from Carl Orff's Carmina Burana, uh -huh. which, if you don't know by name, is that big operatic epic song that plays in every war movie trailer of all time. Uh huh. And then from the stage, light starts to come on, and it's a bunch of lights in jack lanterns spread all over the stage, on gear, everywhere. And that's when the band walks out after setting that very distinct mood. 
which I loved the Jack Lanterns because it was, you know, the Christmas concert. <laughs> but that speaks volumes about who the band were and where they were at at the time. They'd have Halloween on Christmas. Yeah. Because, you know, not everyone loves Christmas as much as Tom. Everyone should love Christmas as much as Tom, though. Christmas is amazing. But the band comes out, and from the start, they blew me away. Figuratively speaking, they were great. They were strong and full of energy. And Hunter was just so much fun to watch because he never stood still. The whole time, he's just running back and forth across the stage and jumping off amps and doing stuff. And somehow he never missed a single note, which I don't understand because his bass was always just kind of like in the air trailing behind him. But Davey himself, because as I mentioned, this is that period of Danzig Davey. So Davey is up on stage with his Danzig hair, head to toe in black leather, and just gave such a powerful and commanding performance. He just seemed like 10 feet tall. And he was putting everything of himself into the performance and just coming off as a badass. Nice. And then after their set, Papa Roach played. And <laughs> I promised on a previous episode that when we talked about this, I would tell my Roach story. Yes. So I'd gone to this to see. AFI and to see Green Day. I'd never seen either before. But since AFI opened and Green Day were closing, that meant I had to sit through two other things. And so I had pushed my way to the front and I was pretty much against the stage when Papa Roach started. And after a while, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And Kobe comes down. He had them turn the house lights up so he could jump off the stage and just come into the audience. And he's got his microphone and he's just walking around, singing, swaying, trying to be cool and hard. And he sees me and I'm just standing there unamused with my arms crossed. And so he zeroes in on me and comes and just stands in front of me and is just sitting there in my face singing, just trying to get me into it. And I'm not having it. And after like 30 seconds of this, I very visibly yawn hand motion and everything in his face then turn around and push my way out of the pit so things didn't go well y'all didn't become buddies after this or anything no no we shared a moment but not the kind of moment he was hoping for you just cut his life into pieces oh i hope so then i'm like i'd rather just hang out in the lobby and as i walk out there hunter comes walking by and i'm like oh hey man and so i talk to hunter for a minute and then i go over off to the back side of the lobby by the stage door and jade and davy are hanging out and so i go and i talk to them and talking with davy after the show it was a complete 180 in personality because as big and fierce as he was on stage he like put on a sweater and he just kind of seemed very soft-spoken and sheepish and was super nice it was very much how you see robert smith in every interview yeah kind of that that awkwardness and it was adorable that's funny so i met those three and i got them all to sign my afi east bay hardcore t-shirt that i was wearing however i never met adam where was he i don't know i don't know if he was just hanging backstage or what he was the only one i didn't meet that was sad were they better than deftones I can't say because Deftones started playing and I knew that they were playing. But by that point, I was talking with Davey and Jade and just kind of hanging out. And I hadn't gotten into them at that point. So I never bothered going in until after their set. And then I went and pushed my way in to see Green Day. And Green Day were great. But that is the one regret that I have is not making myself go watch Deftones because I've never seen Deftones and I love them now. And it makes me sad to think about how young Mark was an idiot. Yeah. But while living around Berkeley, I did used to see some of the guys on the street. 
I ran into Jade one time at Rasputin, which is a record store in Berkeley, and one of my favorite record stores on the planet. The Berkeley Rasputin is fantastic. And I had seen him a couple aisles over digging through stuff, and I was like, oh, hey, it's Jade. That's cool. But I had other CDs to buy, and I made my selections, and I go and I get in line. And as I'm standing in line waiting to check out, I realize that there's some people in line behind me, and then Jade comes and gets in line. And it was sometime, I think it was after Art of Drowning, and I turn around, and I was just like, hey, man, the new album album's really good. He's like, thanks. And then I turn back around, but I do notice that the people behind me are, they're trying to figure out like, wait, is this somebody famous? Should I know this dude? Yeah. But the absolute highlight of all of my AFI on the streets stories is bringing it back to Halloween. It's honestly can't remember if it was Halloween day or the day before, but I had a girlfriend who was living in downtown Berkeley. I'm going over to her place. And as I'm walking down the street, I stop in the intersection for the light to change. And I look over and there's Davey Havoc and the light changes and we walk on. And as we're coming up closer to where my girlfriend's apartment was, we pass a spirit Halloween store. And I kid you not, it's Halloween and Davey Havoc turns directly into the Halloween store. Of course he does. That right there, I mean, it was hip fashion Davy. so I didn't really have much to say to him. But him, at least, still walking into the Halloween store made my heart smile. Nice. That's the image that I like to carry with me, is Davy going home. I love it. So yeah, I have a handful of connections that I've drawn to the band over the years. So this album is kind of personal for me. All right, well, let's just jump into track one, which we have no positive way of introducing as a transition. There's no way to organically say strength through wounding. (laughs) No, but I will say that as an album opener, it also served as a heck of a great way to open a show. It did? It did. And I would say that if you've ever been in a dark room with a large crowd pushing you against the stage as you all chant along with Davey, through our bleeding, we are one. You could say that is an experience that would be enchanting. Sorry. But seriously, there is a term from my journalism days that I love and I hardly ever get to use anymore. And it's the word nutgraph. What's what? Please continue. Nutgraph is a word which, in addition to being incredibly fun to say, is used to mean a short summary at the start of an article. It's a shortening of nutshell paragraph. Okay. So I see Strength Through Wounding as the nutgraph of the album. It serves the same purpose here on the album. It's short and to the point and super on brand for what's to come. And as I've mentioned, my friend Pedro, I called him knowing that we were going to cover this album. And I asked him if there was anything specific that he thought I should make sure to include. All he had to say was that I emphasized the importance of this as the opener and the introduction, since Black Cells should be where everyone starts when it comes to listening to AFI. Cool. I don't have a lot to add to this one. That's fine. There's not much to it, so not much that needs to be added. It's really short. It is. And again, I mean, it's meant more as just kind of an intro. It's not a full song. Yeah, it sets the stage. Deify the wretched ones till the darkness comes. Again. So, track two. Porphoria Cutana Tarda. Thank you for that, because I was going to leave it to you since I figured you have more experience with Latin than I do. I do. And there's no good clever segue into a song with that name. At least if there's one, it's beyond our abilities. 
And I'm just going to go ahead and rip the Band-Aid off and apologize up front because with this album, there's probably not going to be a lot of our trademark hilarious and never cringy transitions. I don't know why that would be the case, Mark. I'm not sure what is not hilarious about open lesions from sun exposure. You're correct. The title does take its name from a medical condition where people develop oils and skin irritation from exposure to sun. After being pulled into the album by the opening chant, Proforia doesn't miss a beat and jumps in kicking off the album with an explosion of drums and guitars and Davey powering through the first verse as they reach the first chorus in only 18 seconds, which then gives us our first taste of Havoc's vocals being backed by a chorus of voices to add to the intensity of it all and are then used later in the track both to support Davey and counter at other points where they're used in force more as a response to what Havoc is singing. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but the presence of the chorus of vocals throughout both the song and the album act like a device to give the listener cues as to where to sing along should they want to engage when playing this album at the appropriate volume. And listener engagement is not a bad thing. No, it makes for a really fun concert. Or even to just turn up very loudly in your car and yell along. Davey is fun to just scream along to. He is. As your neighbors next to you look at you like there's something seriously wrong with you. (laughs) It's always fun to make a spectacle of yourself in traffic. It really is. This song is so dark. It is, and that's something about this album. Pretty much all the lyrics are pretty dark. Which is a great reason that you picked this for our Halloween drop. Good job, Mark. Thanks. It's funny, because since this album, there's been a handful of bands that I've gotten into, like I said earlier, Alkaline Trio, and even Saves the Day, who have had some pretty dark lyrics in their catalog. But both of those bands have never matched the dark lyrics with equally dark tones in the guitar or such hard music that's equally dark and brutal in delivery yeah and i think that's what drew me into this album was that it's it's brutal sure but it's not just brutal it's hard and it's heavy and very in your face but there's still moments of softness and a lot of vulnerability to it as it plays it is dark it is brooding it is i mean the next this is a segue not funny but our next song is just called exanguination yeah which is sucking all of your blood or like like draining your blood Well, more commonly, I think it's the draining of the blood of, like, animals. Hopefully not your blood. (laughs) Having been a fan of bands like Hum and Bad Religion, I was used to rock music with an extended vocabulary. And I was also used to occasionally having to look up big words. Uh And this was my personal introduction to the meaning of that happy gem of a word. The track opens with an extended held guitar note and a slow bass part before Davey comes crashing at 10 seconds with a guttural wail, and then the track takes off running. Like most of the album, this continues that convention of having the chorus of backing vocals support Davey at points, like on the chorus for emphasis. But on this one, after the second chorus, the song shifts gears and we get the first taste of Davey giving us a vocal performance that's more in line with that note from Jade about singing with the melody and not just screaming the lyrics. We learn Davey can sing. Hooray. So dark, man. Just looking at the lyrics, they're just so dark. Yeah, I was just looking at the portion that says, just stumble and fall into a world that's overcrowded and you will find me, won't recognize me, and I won't recognize myself he's uh, going through some stuff, but he makes it very relatable. He's having a time, man. 
It's having a time. Yeah. But I think a lot of it is also, in a sense, like Rivers on Pinkerton coming to terms with the darkness inside you, he just has a lot more darkness. He does have a lot of darkness. But there's still some positives, like the very last line is, you watched me dying, holding me down, you brought my rebirth. So it ends on a happy note. Happy? Question mark? <laughs> Which brings us to the happy track for Malleus Maleficarium. What does that mean, Mark? The title is copied and pasted from the title of a 15th century treatise, which in its day was arguably the leading text on the subject of identifying and exterminating witches. Because everybody needs a hobby. (laughs) The title is commonly translated to mean Hammer of Witches. Not according to this book. According to this book, everybody needs a hobby except witches. No, it suggests that those women have a hobby, and that hobby is witchcraft. And they should not have that hobby. Right, it just takes exception to it. I'd never looked the title up before. I'd also obviously never made the connection between that being the title and the actual lyrics of the song, which opens with, Open my eyes as I submerge, and I won't deny what I've been since birth. I'll die drowned by your standards. By witch. As the orange and red breathe their first breath, so welcome as they're burning through, we all begin to burn. So there's definitely that bright, happy Davy lyrics, which do draw a strong parallel to uh, what I'm guessing the book suggests as to how to handle witches. With love, patience, and kindness. (laughs) Peace, love, and understanding. With a little love and some tenderness. Please take out my singing of Hootie and the Blowfish. I would appreciate that. Absolutely not. (laughs) We mentioned earlier that when the band got home and asked Jade to join them, that they sat down that night and Jade played this new melody that he was working on and Davey figured out this vocal part. And all of that was for this song. This was the first song that was written for the album. Huh, cool. I've got nothing else for this one. All right, next up, song number five. Narrative of Soul Against Soul. For the most part, this song is another song that fits on the album. It blends well. We transition from the previous song to this one, and nothing really stands out. At least not until around 135, because while there's nothing super flashy about it, personally, I really like the bridge here. It's not complex or showy, but there's something about the tone and the vibe and how it lets the song catch its breath that I really enjoy. That little bridge is kind of like the album taking a smoke break. The real smoke break happens on song six, Clove Smoke Catharsis. And the reason that I like your segue there, Mark, well done, gold star for the day, (laughs) is this is the first time that the album slows down for real. And this is the first time the band ever slowed down and had a, quote, ballad-like song. Davey actually sings, Mm -hmm. but he's still doing so with vocal driven by power and emotion that really drive home the lyrics. There's no chorus here that we got used to, which really helps the impact because Davey's standing on his own for most of the song. And when we say most of it, it's because this is the first of three songs on the album, which feature Dr. Dexter Holland providing backing vocals. He comes in on the fourth pass of the chorus near the end of the track and kind of echoes Davey's part. And it's a small part, but it adds just the right extra little something to it. And it works very nicely. You're happy with how it lands? I am. Does it not work for you? I don't love the song. Well, that vocal bit. The vocal bit I like. It works on that part, but it's not enough to save the song for me. Really? On a personal note, this is a song that got me through what should have been a very questionable high school relationship decision. 
There's something about this one that unfortunately I found much too relatable. Where it says, lean against the night and laugh as I try to scale the wall. Ignored futility fills the air. You're only there to watch me fall. And the chorus goes on. If only pure sweetness was offered, why is this bitter taste left in my mouth? If I could catch my breath just to exhale, I'd know that I held it in too long. Which, unfortunately for me, really sums up that relationship perfectly. It's sad. The song or that relationship? <laughs> that relationship. Eh, we all need to be dumb for a girl so we can learn to not be dumb for girls. Yeah, we do. Maybe instead of worrying about girls, you should have taken the prayer position more often in your life, Mark. <sighs> song seven, the prayer position. <laughs> That's got to make our top three of worst transitions. I don't know if I'm proud of you for finding a transition or ashamed of you for making that one. Can't it be both? Probably. This is one of Dexter's songs, too, that I like. Yep, this is the second of his guest vocals. But on this one, I think he's only part of that backing vocal chorus, so he's less noticeable. But it's nice to know he's there. I like the chorus, though. Yeah? The singing chorus. Oh, the supporting vocals. The supporting cast. Yeah, they're nice. They are nice. On this one, there's also a lovely little breakdown that starts around 155, where everything drops out, and there's this light, slow guitar melody line in Davy singing softly. And that goes on for about 45 seconds, and then with another classic Davy Havoc wail, the band jumps back into action. But lyrically, this is another super happy, fun song. It's so upbeat and positive and reeks of no sacrilege whatsoever. <laughs> but despite the sacrilege, it's not like there's no poetic device used in the song or the next one. Track eight, entitled No Poetic Device. Two in a row, Mark. Two in a row. I'm impressed. It's like Jeff Goldblum says, life finds a way. This one comes in hard and fast and keeps that energy through the whole song. The lyrics are dark, for which the speed of the delivery Davy manages to enunciate more clearly on this than he does on other tracks, which at times have lyrics that get a bit lost in his delivery. They do, and it is nice to understand him more. It is. But the real stars of this track are the rhythm section. The bass and the drums are on extra display here, and they absolutely kill it. And there's even a nice little breakdown in the middle of the song where Jade drops the guitar out and the bass carries the melody while the drums just keep rolling. And then Davey comes back in for a while singing over just them, which makes for a nice change of pace, figuratively speaking, because tempo doesn't actually change. Yeah. While the whole album is happy, this is one of the ones that really jumped out to me on one of my first ever listens, being bright and shiny, where he says, I've been dreaming, I've been dreaming, I was lucid. I was dreaming blood was seeping from my pores. Who'd believe that it was all my own decision? I think this stands out to you as particularly upbeat and cheery because you can actually understand Davy's words. Well, there's that, and I think a lot of it also just has to do with death just being that angsty teenager when i first heard this yeah i don't think that any of these would have the same impact if i were hearing it now for the first time i was at that age in the right place that something about it all just resonated i gotcha now we can go to weathered tome song nine yes song nine weathered tome I don't have much to say about this one. It just kind of blends in. Not because it's a bad song. I don't think that there are any bad songs. And I don't think that there are any wasted tracks on the album. 
It's on point with being fast and hard and has some lovely backing vocals. Yeah. But it's short. It's just barely over two minutes. And the last 20 seconds of that, the song shifts gears to a point where it feels like it's there not to play this track out, but rather to serve as a build up for the next song. That's fair. So what's the next song? Song 10, The Last Kiss. So I'll give away now that this one didn't make my top three. However, it was a very strong contender and would definitely be on my top five. Lyrically, it's one of my favorites on the album. And there's a wonderful bit around 142 where the band cuts out and there's a little guitar solo with a nice stuttered effect to it, which creates a fun short moment for everything to catch its breath. I agree. The song itself, though, the lyrics, the sentences are longer. It's more complex sentence structure than other songs that we've had, which are more short and pithy. Yep. And I like it. Any standouts in those lines? The lines that I like the most. Now I'm on display. I am becoming. Hurt myself today. It's all for you. Do you like what I'm becoming? Cut myself today. It's all for you. Please don't ask me just what I think. Trust me. You don't want to know. Please don't ask me to open up. Trust me. Trust me. Because I can't. Stop the insects that are feeding. Pull the needles from beneath my skin. Yes. And that is the chorus for the song. So they it is. go through it a handful of times. I agree that it's great. I picked a good one. You did. You did well. I'm glad I made you proud, Mark. With my personal upbringing of being emotionally stunted and never learning to talk about feelings, there have been more than one occasion and more than one relationship in which I have found myself with a dissatisfied girlfriend who wants to talk things out, and I get the song through my head frequently in those moments. The please don't ask me just what I think, trust me, you don't want to know. Please don't ask me to open up, trust me, trust me, because I can't. At a glance, that does sound like you, Mark. Yes, and I apologize to every girl who has ever made the mistake of getting attached. Track 11, At a Glance. Yeah, this song, pick up where the other one left off, this is like a compliment to the prior track with a short guitar riff that sounds very similar to the main riff on Last Kiss, but transposed to a different key, and then it jumps right in and races through the first two verses. After the second chorus, there's a drastic shift in gears from another blistering hardcore goth anthem into that sweet, sweet AFI ballad sound. We haven't talked about it yet, but one of the many things AFI do very well on this album is find ways to break up their songs and give the structures some more complexity than that traditional straightforward verse-chorus-verse approach. And here, after about 45 seconds of that balladry, it jumps right back into the fast stuff for another run-through of the chorus, but doesn't end there because it pivots once more and again goes into something completely different that's lacking actual lyrics but is still full of vocal layers as the vocal chorus and Davey both pick up and carry the melody along with a textured delivery of rhythmic woes which are not to be confused with the classic Joey Lawrence which sets the band up nicely to wind the song down slow and soft so then the album as a whole can shift gears into song number 12 god called in sick today yay blasphemy (laughs) this is the second of the epic afi ballads on the album and it starts out softer and with an even quieter guitar line than clove smoke catharsis did when they hit the chorus everything hits harder it's more punch but doesn't pick up steam just heft there are more layered vocals on the chorus overlapping with different parts And one bit is doing something textured with the O's and the woes, 
while Davey belts out the main lyric line. For the second verse, the guitar switches from a soft pick melody line to a more prominent rhythmic riff, and the drums and the bass are both heavy hitters, but keep the tempo down to not break the mood. This is the last of the three tracks on which there are contributions from Offspring frontman Dr. Dexter, and it is a darkly lush and beautiful close to the album. Or is it? It is not. We have a hidden track. Wah, wah, wah. Would be song 13, but it's not numbered because it's hidden. Midnight Sun. So years ago, I just pulled this into some software, cut the silence out, and saved Midnight Sun as its own track 13. So whenever I listen to it, it just goes from one to the other. Do you actually know how long that silence is? Seven minutes, 16 seconds of silence. I've always wondered why this is on here as a secret song and not on the Black Sails EP, which also has a couple of other non-album tracks, which are just as good as anything on this album, which Midnight Sun would have fit on because it is a fully produced track that's on the level of everything else on this album. So it's not just a half-finished leftover or a fun gimmicky song like a lot of bonus songs of the day tended to be. But I guess I never really thought about it all that hard before. And doing so now, the only thing that I've been able to come up with is that I don't know where I would plug it into on this album. Okay. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but the sequencing on this album is fantastic. We've kind of talked about, you know, one or two songs that bleed nicely into the other. Yeah. I've always loved how Black Cells flows. And so maybe that was part of the reason for leaving it off. Maybe. I don't know. It's still a good song. It is. And I do suppose as well that the additional bonus of putting it here is in a way, if you've listened to the album and you listen to that seven minutes of Dead Space, then you've gotten some distance from the end of the album, right? Right. So maybe you've just listened to the album and you've thought, man, that was really good. I wish there was a little more. And then bam, here you go. Then we got it. Yeah. Congratulations. It's a Halloween miracle. (laughs) Great pumpkin bless us, everyone. Of course, that does raise the question. Is Linus the Halloween equivalent of Tiny Tim? Yes. Oh, okay. Obviously. Fair. I mean, as I was asking the question, it made sense to me. So I'm glad that you agreed. And that's the end of our album. Yeah. I like the album. It's not my favorite AFI album. I'll listen to it, but it's better than Miss Murder. (laughs) And don't get me wrong, there are some tracks on December Underground other than Miss Murder that are fantastic. For sure. But I do agree that this was such a development and high point in the band, and it really is a great place to start if anyone is exploring the AFI catalog. Yeah. And I think I mentioned it earlier, but for me personally, it's one that I think I was right place, right time in life for. Going back, if I were just to discover it now, I'm sure I would still very much be into it because I'm still very much just an awkward 14-year-old teenage boy. We all are. I haven't really outgrown the teen angst as much as one would hope. And so I still enjoy a lot of it, but I still don't expect that it would speak to me as strongly as it did then as a whole because of the sound of it. We've talked a bit about how it's dark and and I keep thinking about this line from a song by the band Brand New. Yeah. That says, my bright is too slight to hold back all my dark. And for some reason, whenever I keep thinking of this album, that just keeps popping into mind as kind of like a really good just summary of the album as a whole. I like it. So... You want to do your top three first or you want me to? Whatever makes you happy. 
All right, I will go. I've got mine here. I'm going to come in at number three with no poetic device. Okay. I like it. Although it did not make your top three and made your top five, The Last Kiss is going to make my top three at number two. Nice. And Malleus Maleficarum is my favorite. Nice. What are yours? For me, number three is No Poetic Device. Hey, hey, nice. Like I said, Last Kiss was a strong contender, and it was hard to to not choose. But as I've been listening through this round, just going with what you know felt right to me. Um, number two is Malleus. Nice. And number one, God called in sick today. I love the balladry. I love I love the vocal performance that Davey gives, how strong and sweeping it is and how dynamic it is. And so, yeah, that's my number one. And you're always a big fan of Sacrilege. Blasphemous Rumors is my favorite Depeche Mode song. So I guess it's fitting. Well, that means that we have wrapped up AFI. Next, we'll be covering Third Eye Blind's self-titled album. And we will be diving into at what point... Stephen Jenkins became an insufferable person that nobody likes to be around. Oh, you mean it wasn't a pre-existing condition? I guess you'll have to tune in and find out. Well, thanks for listening, and happy Halloween. This has been another episode of Once Every Two Weeks. You can find us on our website, onceeverytwoweeks.com, or on Instagram, Once Every Two Weeks, where Mark is keeping our Instagram feed alive. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Every Two Weeks is a production of Burrow Baracho Records. Mm-hmm.